0: Lord God, hide this preacher and reveal the savior for it is in his word and through his spirit that we are renewed. We pray in your name, amen. How do you walk the walk as a Christ follower? How do you walk the walk? Now it's very possible this morning that there may be someone here in the room who quietly or maybe openly would say well you know I'm not sure that I am a Christ follower or uh, I'm not a Christ follower anymore but I would ask each of us how do you walk the walk now that term that verb is used Repeatedly through the book of Ephesians, and in our scripture today, it talks about living. But the ancient word there is walking a circuit. Peripedeo is a frequently used word in the book of Ephesians. It means to walk the circuit. It's like a baseball player walking from home plate to first to second to third and then back to home. We are to walk the walk, to walk the circuit. But how do you do it with the kind of challenges that you might be facing this day or this week? How do you do it? There's a good uh, friend of mine, covenant pastor named Paul Benkston, who is now retired. He lives with his wife, Cheryl, in um, the homestead, not too far from here. In fact, Paul was uh, the Pastor, one of the pastors at the church that my mother-in-law, Mary's mother, lived at in Muskegon, Michigan, Paul told me that he would walk a circuit or run or jog. How many joggers are here this morning? Well, I know you're you're kind of working at it, but you got a great coach here and a great mentor. So walking the circuit, Paul said he discovered Winnemack Park, the corner of Damon and Foster Avenue, is exactly a quarter mile. And it's a square or a a rectangular park area, the jogging area, the walking path is a quarter mile. So that if you go through the entire circuit, it's one mile. If you do it five times, it's how many? Oh, You go to the head of the class here. Five miles, if you do it five days a week, it's 25 miles. Not bad, Paul. Walking, jogging, running, however you would say it. We are to walk the walk. Now I might add before I move on that the book of Ephesians mentions different postures. Now I'm not gonna preach about this today, but it talks about not only walking, it talks about sitting, Standing, rising up, and kneeling. And even getting up out of bed. The ancient language there talks about stretching. So there are many postures, but today we're talking about walking. Walking. Walking the walk. How do you do it? Well, one thing we realize is that we need to make progress. I hope you're not like the hamster or the lobster on a treadmill. Have any of you seen that hilarious uh, little clip on YouTube of a lobster walking on a treadmill? My goodness. Walking, but not (laughs) a lobster. Not really gaining any traction, not moving very far, but doing a lot of effort. Walking. We want to walk the walk, but we want to make progress. How do you make progress as a Christ follower? What do you need to do? Well, the book of John's gospel talks about the importance of being born and having a new birth. Martin Luther, reformer, said you possibly need to have several new births where you come into faith with Christ but then perhaps as you go through life experiences, maybe through several years, you come to a point where you need to be renewed or reborn in a new understanding of Jesus. And so being a Christ follower begins with asking yourself an honest question. Do you have that initial relationship with the Lord? where you were born from above. Now John and Peter, two of the disciples, talk about the new birth. The apostle Paul uses legal terminology as if you are now in a courtroom. And God is the judge. And you're brought up before the docket and a uh, person advocates on your behalf. It's Jesus, and you are redeemed just as if you had never committed the crime. You are declared by the judge to be innocent. And that is the terminology here that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Romans. And again, it's the whole idea of beginning the walk. A Christ follower walks the walk Now we notice here, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Did you notice at the very beginning of our reading here, it said Paul was a prisoner in the Lord. What does that mean? I know it's possible to go to jail and Paul had many very harsh, difficult experiences but he took the negative experiences and redefined them. And maybe that's part of what it means to walk the walk because life is not easy for some, maybe for all of us at different times. We will uh, be confronted with very challenging moments. The Apostle Paul says, yes, I'm a prisoner, but I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And then he uses a similar terminology we are to uh, have unity in the spirit in the bond of peace what is a bond a bond is a shackle or manacle that is put on your wrist or put on your ankle the Apostle Paul more likely was under house arrest living in an apartment In a world-class city called Rome, he was shackled next to a uh, Praetorian guard, a Roman soldier, who couldn't escape. That man had to listen to Paul 24-7 preach to him. And the ancient church actually gives the indication that over these experiences, a number of the guards became followers Christ followers, because they were shackled, they were bonded, wrist to wrist or ankle to ankle, with Paul, who very carefully, lovingly and keenly debated and talked about faith in Jesus, walking the walk may include redefining that whatever difficulty you're facing in life, you could transform that difficulty because it's making you a little bit more like Jesus. There's a friend of mine who is now with the Lord. His name was Bob Munger. He said, uh, Brian, what I do is every day I review, as I'm about to go to sleep at night, I, lie in bed and I review everything that's happened. I've learned more about myself every day, and I've learned a little bit more about Jesus. And so I commit all that I've learned about myself to all I've learned about Jesus. And I do that day after day after day. And when you do that, you become, in a deeper way, a Christ follower. You're walking the circuit, you're walking the walk. And I challenge you to consider this, maybe today or tonight. You review your life. You've learned a little bit more about yourself. Maybe you have an inner strength that came from somewhere. Maybe it came from God. Or maybe you are disappointed in yourself. You take what you've learned about yourself and What something new you've learned about God, and you commit yourself to God, and you do that day after day. It's part of walking the walk, doing the circuit, like a baseball player, rounding the bases, because the Apostle Paul says that we are to walk the walk for the Lord, and that's how we grow in faith but the good news is this as we look at Ephesians chapter 4 we walk the walk but all you know of God is involved in restoring healing and empowering you to do the walk let me say that again that that is so riveting it's outstanding That all you know of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is involved in your life at this very moment. You may not feel the Holy Spirit or feel the Redeemer or feel God the Creator but all three members of the Trinity, one God and three persons are involved in helping you walk the walk because God is there Cheering for you, but not only empowering you and equipping you, but giving you his strength and his spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about a sevenfold unity that unites all believers into one body. And uh, there are three groups of three, each member of the Trinity is highlighted. And so the Apostle Paul, taking this part, says there's one body, that's single community, one church, one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, one hope, guaranteeing our calling, that's the spirit. Then there's one Lord to whom we owe our allegiance, one faith, and one baptism. Our commitment and an outward sign of belonging to the church. And then finally, there's one God and Father of us all who is over all, through all, and in all. All who God is, is involved in helping you by His grace to walk the walk so that you can achieve your calling, what the Lord wants you to do. Unity and wholeness expresses the very essence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, In fact, unity is the church's calling and purpose. It's not a man-made condition within the church. It is achieved through Jesus Christ, his death upon the cross for our sakes, and the Holy Spirit who indwells the heart of every Christian woman and man and child. Unity, however, is not uniformity. Every believer, in fact, is given a unique spiritual gift or gifts and capacities for Christian service. There is a diversity in the body of Christ represented in all the different spiritual gifts that are labeled here by Paul to prepare God's people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. It's a mutuality of service, leading to greater maturity in faith and life. One way that a Christian walks the walk is through reconciliation with others within the church. Including those who come from non Christian backgrounds and experiences, and some who come from uh, totally different life experiences, maybe different countries, different nationalities. Every person has the opportunity to participate and to contribute through spiritual gifts so that. God's people are prepared for works of service and the body of Christ is built up. But none of us can do everything. We need each other within the church. Christians within one body work together. Each has a part to do and in unity together we fulfill all that God calls the church to be and to do. But remember what I just said, that all who God is is involved in your life at this very moment. God is cheering you on. God is encouraging and consoling you. God is empowering you to walk the walk. Now let me conclude with a true story from the Chicago Cubs. It's one of the oldest professional baseball teams in America, the second oldest. And it it illustrates for us what it means to walk the walk. This is a story from the 1932 Chicago Cubs versus New York Yankees World Series. At the game, the third game at Wrigley Field on Clark Street, President Franklin Roosevelt attended along with sitting next to Chicago Mayor Anton Cermak. What happened at this game is historic. It's validated, by the way, by video footage and eyewitness reports. And my details that I share with you this morning verified by a man who attended the game with whom i worked when i was about 19 years of age at an ice factory in east chicago i worked alongside an older gentleman whose name was ben gunn and ben told me brian i was at that game and i saw what happened the first two games were played at Yankee Stadium in New York City. In the first game, the Cubs pitcher was Guy Bush. The first three innings looked promising. Then the Yankees scored three runs in the fourth inning, five runs in the sixth, and three runs in the seventh, and one run in the eighth. And so they won 12 to six over the Chicago Cubs. The second game, was similar, also at Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees beat the Cubs, and so they come now to the third game at Wrigley Field in Chicago. The Cubs looked a little better, being able to tie it up in the fourth inning, but the Yankees went on to win the game, ultimately, with the Yankee pitcher, George Pitgrass and the Cubs pitcher losing the game. His name was Charlie Root. But what happened at this game was historic. See, the top half of the fifth inning with a score of four to four, Yankee right fielder Babe Ruth came to the plate. Now, Babe Ruth was a large individual. He uh, was very controversial. For example, uh, during the game, If he was done batting and there was a lineup, he would uh, leave the stadium. He'd uh, walk out through the locker room, go out onto Clark Street, and order a beverage and two or three hot dogs. And he's sitting out there talking to the fans. Many of them were yelling at him. And finally, uh, the ushers would kind of pull him back into the stadium to play some more. Well, Babe Ruth came to the plate. And at that point, as he stood in the batter's box, a uh, Cubs fan threw a lemon at him. And I understand that uh, other things were being thrown at him. And so he stepped out of the batter's box. And finally, the game was going to continue. Yankee outfielders stepped back into the box to face Cubs pitcher Charlie Root. The first pitch was as a strike. And as the fans cheered, Babe Ruth stepped out of the plate. He lifted his hand as if he was counting, and he did this, one, and then he pointed to the center field stadium. Everyone was jeering. But he was intending to walk the walk, He had in his mind what he was going to do. And so the next pitch again was his strike. And as he was struck, strike two, once again he steps out of the batter's box, he holds up his hand with two fingers up, one, two, and then he points to the center field bleachers. Well, the people were jeering, others were cheering. The next two pitches were balls. The count was now two balls and two strikes. And the next pitch came and Babe Ruth slugged it into the center field exactly where he had pointed. The ball went over the stadium. It went past the flagpole with the American flag. It went 496 feet out into the final street. Yankee first baseman Lou Gehrig then followed with another home run and the Yankees won the game. And to celebrate, Chicago Candy Company, Curtis Candy put up a large wooden sign reading Babe Ruth Candy Bars and put it right up over the stadium. And it was there for decades. We are to walk the walk, my friends. Just as Babe Ruth ran the circuit and he was laughing and uh, giggling as he ran because he knew what he was doing and he was all about fulfilling that walk. Walk the walk that is worthy of Jesus Christ. Some of you are being called to walk very difficult, challenging experiences and walks. So lean on the Lord today. Lean on the arms and shoulders of Christian friends here in the church. Be a Christ follower. Make that commitment and walk the walk. In some respects, This church is similar to an ice cube tray. My uh, mother, I recall, years ago in Northwest Indiana, where I grew up, we'd have people over the house for a party. And she, uh, as in preparation, she'd reach into the freezer and pull out a large aluminum ice cube tray. And it was built in such a way that there were little compartments there for each ice cube. They were each exactly alike. And she'd set it there on the counter. And the warmth of the summer uh, air outside on the picnic table or maybe in the kitchen would gradually melt those ice cubes. Where after so much time she could just simply lift the aluminum receptacle and all the cubes were there. Now, as water was beginning to drip, and each cube could be broken apart. But guess what? She would put all of them in a punch bowl, along with the water, everything together, and the cold temperature would cause two things. All those ice cubes would melt and adhere to each other, and they would become like one large block of ice. But not only that, the ice would melt, and it would be so refreshing to drink. And that is what God's spirit could enable us as a church, that we begin to melt, and through love, we begin to become unified in a new way so as the water of life could come through our church to refresh and encourage others in our community. Heavenly Father, thank you for your calling. Thank you that you are involved, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in every life here in this room. Help us by your grace, to walk the walk, to be committed to a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen.